Are you a believer or a believer? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. In the nearest orbit of Jesus, if you will, are Peter, James, and John. Then the twelve. Farther out, others that are also called disciples. In the outer reaches of his influence are the crowds that will shout Hosanna one day and crucify on another. What's the critical difference? What separates the mere assenter from the fervent follower? Jim resumes his talk from Friday called Evidence Isn't Enough. It's nice to feel you're in control. I meet people all the time who consider themselves absolutely in control of their future. And their attitude is, when it becomes necessary, and if it becomes necessary, then I'll believe the truth and commit my life to Jesus Christ. No, you won't. You will not make a fool of God. In your act of rejecting the truth, you set yourself in opposition to God, and God's response to that is, according to Romans chapter 1, he gives you over to a new level of hardness. And when you're not content with that level of hardness and you keep pressing and pressing and pressing, God gives you over to a new level of hardness. That's a form of God's wrath. And as you persist in your willful disobedience and unbelief, God yields, he yields, he yields, and your heart and mind become more and more disoriented and hardened in sin and rebellion to the place where you're no longer sensitive to the call of God or to issues of truth. This is not a surprise. John tells us that Isaiah had seen as a prophet and had written in his book about this response that Jesus' public ministry would receive. Lord, who hath heard our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord or the strength of the Lord been revealed? Why, to that generation who lived in Jesus' day. They had seen these miracles. They had heard him speak. They had handled the evidences for themselves. What was their response? They would not believe. They would not accept. They would not move to the light. They would not humble themselves and accept the truth. So what happened? Their hearts were hardened. Their eyes were blinded. And that fulfilled the prophecy that God spoke to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. The seraphim were chanting, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What Isaiah saw is that Jesus Christ would become the suffering sacrifice for our sins so that we, through faith alone, could receive God's full pardon and forgiveness and become transformed to become children of God. Isaiah also saw that the one who suffered upon the cross would not be toyed, would not be played with, would not be manipulated and managed by your unbelief. Your very unbelief fulfills the prophecy of God itself. You have brought upon yourself 
blackness, darkness, destruction, judgment of God. I'm aware this morning that there are possibly, probably, some sitting right here. You could preach this message better than I, but you don't believe it. You have a Bible just like I do, but you don't read it. You've heard the salvation message over and over and over again, but you've never received it. And you're farther from God this morning. You're more settled in paths of unrighteousness and habits of unconscionable sin than you were the first time you heard the gospel. More light won't help you. You've committed yourself to blindness. More information won't help. Your understanding is blocked. That's what sin does. Sin destroys the processes by which truth is received and understood. And while we think we are holding God at bay, while we think that our refusal of the gospel is our American right and we can do it, thank you, and we're entitled to do it as we please. What we fail to realize is that when we do that, we place ourselves in the hardening process of sin. And God in his grace and mercy will release you, but you won't come back. And you can come to that place in your life like this generation did, where you're, where you're swimming in evidences, where the truth is all around you, but you cannot see it. You cannot appreciate it. And you will not respond to it. Now, in contrast to those who would not believe and could not believe, there's a third group that John notes. And these are people, even leaders of Judaism, who did believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, John says, there were some among them who believed, but their faith was defective. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were more concerned about their status, their reputation, than they were about truth and their willingness to take a stand publicly and commit themselves to life-changing habits that would make them different than their neighbors. That's defective faith. Were they born again? Were they saved? There are many passages of Scripture which would indicate that these folks who believed believed things that were true about Jesus, but they themselves were not saved. Did you ever wonder why 3,000 people responded to the truth at Pentecost? Did you ever wonder why in a few days that number had swelled to 5,000 men? Did you ever wonder why in a matter of weeks that number had swelled to thousands of believers in Jerusalem? Much of that was because these folks with defective faith finally made a public commitment, a bold declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and their lives were transformed from being truth affirmers to truth behaviors. 
through the power of the Spirit of God. John then gives us the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ to this audience that is lost, to this audience of weak-kneed believers. He says that the Lord Jesus had some words for them, and he uses the illustration of light. Notice verse 44. Jesus says to them, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees him who sent me. That's the same claim Jesus has made all during his life. I and the Father are one. I am God. The Father has sent me. I speak the words the Father has given. All the works that I do, I do that honor the Father. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Over and over and over again, Jesus has insisted that the key element of faith is to accept the fact that the man called Jesus is God the Creator. He is one of the triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has descended his throne and entered our world and taken upon himself a human form, a human life, so that he could be our sacrifice, pay the debt of our sins, which we cannot pay for ourselves, and gain for us forgiveness from God, peace with God, and release to us by the Holy Spirit the dynamic by which we are changed and we become new people, new creations through Christ Jesus. Now, notice what Jesus says about this matter of rejection and exception. Verse 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. What does that mean? The last day is talking about that day of judgment when every one of you, when I, will have reality and interview with God himself. And the details of your life will all be laid out. The decisions you've made, the rationale for making them. The good things you've done and the bad stuff you've done, it'll all be laid out. And in that day, God will demonstrate that he brought you the message of salvation. That Jesus Christ in his death upon the cross included your sins in the death that he died. That you, therefore, could have had everlasting life as a gift from God. Full forgiveness, eternity with him in heaven, that that was available to you and you knew it and said no. And God will document how many times he brought that word to you, like right now. How many times God moved upon the heart of someone to hand you a track? You looked at it, scoffed, tore it up, threw it on the ground. How many times a gospel message came in on the radio as you were riding in the car and you quickly turned the station rather than hear? 
How many times the memory of someone that you know and love who knew and loved the Lord Jesus Christ came into your mind and you shut it off lest you be convicted. God will bring his word against you in the day of judgment. And it will be patently clear that God was not willing that you should perish. God desired that all men should come to the place of repentance and that God worked and graciously pleaded and repeatedly assaulted you with the truth of his word. And you knew it, you heard it, you rejected it, you refused it. And that word rejected is what will seal your eternal doom. God, as the judge, will simply pronounce the sentence that his justice demands. The sentence that you have asked him to pronounce by your refusal of the truth and your deliberate choice to reject him. Sobering, is it not? That the same word which God wants you to know and to believe to be saved, the same word rejected now causes the heart to be hardened and the conscience to be deadened and the understanding to be dulled. That same word stands invincible, unchanged, undiminished as the record against you in the day when God calls you and summons you to judgment. One last thing. Jesus also wanted us to know in verse 46, it says, I came, or I have come, as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Bible says that God takes no delight in, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not filled with glee. God is not pleased that you should perish. But God is not pampered by your choices. That is, God isn't up there wringing his hands and thinking, oh, I just wish you'd cooperate. God isn't going to moan and mope for 100,000 years because you choose to deliberately, willfully shut yourself off and reject the offer of his grace and salvation. It's not going to happen that way. But you need to know up front that God came into the world to save you, to save your neighbor, to save your mom, your dad, your kids, your friends. And the reason you miss salvation will have nothing to do with God's motivation. And God will be free and uncomplicated in your eternal destruction. You will have chosen to pull wrath in upon yourself. What a horrible passage. 
And yet it gives us clear insight into how Jesus Christ ended his ministry and tells us that he will have the final word. That if you choose not to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, that will not diminish his glory. That will not frustrate his purpose. It will exclude you from the blessing. And your unbelief will prove that he is God, that he is true, that he is gracious, that he is the Savior. Our Heavenly Father, there's no more evidence to be given. The record stands proven, sealed, not just in the eyewitnesses of 2,000 years ago who wrote the book, not just in the prophecies a thousand years before who anticipated Jesus coming and described it, but the evidence is clear in the lives of people all around us who have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and whose lives exhibit peace and purpose, joy, strength, hope, confidence. They are neat folks. They've been transformed from being bitter and selfish and angry and hostile by the work of your spirit inside. Because you have forgiven them, they have become forgivers. Because you have enriched them, they have become givers. Because they have experienced your mercy, they have become merciful and patient. Because they have experienced your goodness, they have become rich and confident and full of joy. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, are you this morning, my friend, certain of your salvation? Does your life right now reflect a difference? a dynamic, you're not the same person you used to be? Does your heart warm with the singing of the hymns? Do you desire to be with other brothers and sisters and to worship the Lord? Do you seek to understand and delight in reading the scripture and finding in it the direction for your life and habits? Can you think of a time, can you imagine Remember a circumstance where you faced Jesus Christ and said, I dare to believe that you are God. I believe that at the cross you died for my sins. I yield myself to you. Come into my life, my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior. Can you remember such a time? If you can't, this morning, do yourself the greatest favor. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ will save you. And cry out to him for forgiveness and ask him right now, Lord Jesus, I yield my life to you. Come into my heart and be my savior. Give to me 
the promises you have made in your word change my life and make me a new creature. Perhaps this morning you're embarrassed because of a lack of courage. You believe in Jesus, you believe the truth about him, but you're such a coward. When it comes to publicly acknowledging and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by bold decisions of truth and righteousness, you back away. You haven't shared your faith with anyone, perhaps ever, for a long time. You're suffering from that debilitating disease called fear of men. You have made yourself a slave to men's applause. You crave men's approval more than you crave the praise of God. This morning, pray this prayer if you're tired of that kind of compromise. Lord Jesus, this morning I pray that you would come into my heart by your spirit. Give me understanding of the incredible benefits and privileges that are mine. Make me a child of God fully. Forgive me of my failures. Direct my life so that I will do those things that give you pleasure, things that you approve. Grant me boldness and courage as I yield to your spirit and obey your word. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, in every heart where we have made decision this morning, uh, correct the hardening process of rejection, destroy the work of blindness, hardness that we have allowed to fester and develop in our spirits by a rejection of the truth. Flood our hearts with life and with light and by your spirit enable us to walk in that light as children of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Those who imagine themselves critics and judges of the Gospels have it exactly backwards. Jesus said, The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. They have 2,000 years worth of evidence. But as Jim has said, sometimes evidence isn't enough. The message is available on CD for your gift of $7 or more. And for your donation of $45 or more, you can get the entire set of 13 discs in the series we concluded moments ago. It's called Special Works Jesus Did. When we say that Right Start is listener-supported, we'd like you to think, wait a minute, I'm a listener, and then have a conversation with the Lord about us. We're still here after all these years because some believers have caught the vision and want to be a part of Right Start. Thank you, Giving and Praying family. To reach us, please mail us at Right Start. P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And visit our website, rightstartradio.org. 
You can donate there, and you can link up to the Right Start podcast, published daily on iTunes. That's great for staying in the loop while you're on vacation, by the way. To hear Pastor Jim's entire sermons without broadcast breaks, you can download those from the site, email us, and more. Just remember that web address, rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The Apostle Paul was a church planter, but he wrote letters even to some churches that he hadn't planted, like the one in Colossae. What was it he wanted to make sure the Colossians knew? Let's think about that on the next Right Start. Thank you.